chapter 7. <coughs> really hard to cough with a microphone on. Romans is a it's a treasured book of the Bible and I I hope it in these uh, Wednesday evening it, it's becoming more treasured to you in that the Holy Spirit I, I pray and, and, and trust as I approach these teaching times each week it's making it more open an open book to you when the Holy Spirit takes the words of Scripture and opens them re- reveals them to us that's when they become treasured. You know, each of us has those passages of Scripture that the Holy Spirit has lit up for us. And there's just, there's just no way that anybody could ever steal from us the truth that the Holy Spirit planted in our hearts through the Word of God. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will be doing that not only tonight, but in the weeks to come out of the book of Romans the truth of our standing before God on the basis of Christ Jesus' righteousness and not our own. And that's really the main theme of the book of Romans. And we have seen from the very beginning that the Apostle Paul has sought to establish the fact that men, be they Jew or Gentile, are separated from God by a sinful nature and that they are hopelessly lost that, they have, that men have had the opportunity to turn to God. Every man has been given the opportunity to know God. And, but we have rejected him, and therefore we are in need of a Savior. Having not been able to secure right standing before God by our own works, God himself had to make a way for us to, to come into righteousness by providing for us the righteousness of his son. And Romans chapter 7 continues the theme of sanctification that we began last week. Justification being uh, talked about at at length in chapters 4 and 5. Justification again being um, justified, never sinned. Coming to know that the sinless, righteous life of Jesus Christ has been applied to my life. And so that I stand before God clean, just as if I'd never sinned. I've been justified before God. Well, to be declared justified by God is one thing, but to have the Holy Spirit begin to work in us the sanctification process that causes my life as I relate to you and as I walk through life to match up to what God has declared me to be, that is another story. So, the, so God, by Christ Jesus, by our faith in Christ Jesus, has looked to each one of us and he said, you're justified, you're justified, you're justified in my son. That means we have, we're clean before him, we have right standing before him. But then he sends the Holy Spirit to work in us changes that cause us on this side of the blood of Jesus to measure up to what, how God views us. Is that clear? 
And so we're talking about the sanctification process, the work of the Holy Spirit that takes the resurrection power of Jesus and causes us to, to uh, be transformed into the image of God's Son. Chapter 7, verse 1, begins <clears throat> with or, talking, uh, which takes us back to the verse before it. So let's begin with 623. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. Now he's talking to those who know the law. Be they Jew or Gentile, and he's spoken to both directly. He's addressed the Gentiles and the Jews in the church in Rome. But right now, <clears throat> he's not necessarily only talking to the Jews when he says, I speak to those who know the law. Because be they Jew or Gentile, the only Bible they had was the law. That's how they knew God was through the law, through the Old Testament scriptures. So he speaks to them, people who do have the word of God and who are studying it, and he says, don't you know this, that as long as a man lives, the law has dominion over him. Then he uses an example from the law to illustrate what he means. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if, while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, <clears throat> she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, even to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Now, <clears throat> this is often um, used as a scripture that uh, lays down some guidelines for divorce and remarriage. And it may well be that, but you can see plainly that that's not really the purpose behind Paul's using this. It's an illustration to show, to help us to understand our relationship to the law. Because he's already shown that by keeping the law, no flesh is justified. In other words, by, by doing, trying to do everything right, by trying to please God by the works of the flesh, we've not been able to secure right standing before God. It took Jesus Christ, who fulfilled the law, to become for us righteousness. Now, the question is, now that we have been justified by faith in Jesus before God, what do we do with the law? If I haven't been able to find right, right standing before God on the basis of the law, then what do I do with it? Is it of no use? Do I just throw it away? And he, said, he begins to help us to understand this by using an illustration right out of the law. He says, now you know this, you understand this. That as long as a woman is married, she is to be in marital relationship with her husband. But if her husband dies, then she's free from that marital contract and is free to remarry. And uh, he, he says, so it is that you in <clears throat> have died in Christ 
And therefore the bond of matrimony, so to speak, that you were co in, in, uh, contractually bound to with your old Adamic nature has been severed. Now, <clears throat> the woman who, whose husband dies, if she remarries, <clears throat> people are not going to go around, oh, she's an adulteress. Uh, she she's married to a different man because they know that her husband died and according to the law she is free from that marital relationship and so now she can be married to another and there's no there's no problem there's no nothing to be ashamed of and just as surely as she was the one man's husband so now she is another man's husband and Paul is trying to say that you and I had a, a, le a bondage to our old sinful nature. And as long as that old man, as long as that old Adamic sinful nature was alive, we were bound to that relationship. But if that old man dies, we're free to be married to another Christ Jesus let's go on and read verse um, 5 for when we were in the flesh the passions of sin which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death but now we have been delivered from the law having died to what we were held by so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, You shall not covet. But sin taking opportunity by the commandment produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead I was alive once without the law but when the commandment came sin revived and I died and the commandment which was to bring life I found to bring death for sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me and by it killed me therefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good now let me help you understand this a little bit each of us uh, could say like Paul said there was a time in my life when I did not know the law each of us experienced uh, a period of time some longer some shorter when we did not understand God's requirements what God was requiring and expecting of us and so we really didn't know where we stood with God but when the law came and showed us how far short we had fallen from God's expectations then we were able, we, we first of all understood we were sinners and that's not very a nice experience but it did, it did drive us to a redeemer it drove us to a savior and that was the purpose of the law it's like this before God um, before God gave the law we were sinners we just didn't know how bad 
Have you ever had a boss or somebody that you uh, had a continuing, relation, continuing relationship with where you didn't, didn't ever know where you stood from with them exactly, but you knew you were on the bad side, on their wrong side? You knew that they didn't like you or they weren't happy with you, but you didn't know why? They never spelled out for you what the terms of the arrangement were to be? It's frustrating. It's terrible, you know, you, you never can please them, but they don't tell you what you could do to, to please them. So you're, you're constantly trying to, to win their affection, but you usually find yourself digging yourself deeper. It's terribly frustrating. And so the human race was caught in this kind of a thing prior to the law. We knew that we weren't pleasing God, but we didn't know what to do to please Him. He never was clear to us about <clears throat> what he expected or what he required. So God gave the law and he said, here's what I require. Here is the standard of righteousness. Well, <clears throat> it's not very good news because we look at the, the standard that God has set and we realize, oh my goodness, there's no way I could ever live up to that. There's no way I could ever achieve what God has set as the standard. But, as hard and uh, as rough as that is for us to take, it's much better than not knowing because our relationship with God is then defined and we can, and God is setting the stage for the Redeemer. See, that's what the law is all about. Alright, now then Jesus Christ comes and he does two things. First of all, he fulfills the law. He lives life perfectly. He fulfills the law in all of its requirements on our behalf. The second thing he does is he pays the penalty for our rebellion and our failure to keep the law. The Bible says that our failure to keep the law earns us death. Well, Jesus died in our place. <clears throat> okay, follow me now. So Jesus, by faith in Jesus, we have been <clears throat> freed from the penalty that we owe. So we don't, have, we don't owe uh, death anymore. And also, by faith in Jesus, we have fulfilled the law. And that's why, brothers and sisters, the law is dead to us. Because it's been fulfilled. It's been fulfilled. Jesus did it. Jesus fulfilled it. And we no longer have to live under the burden of trying to measure up to God's standard. Because Jesus did it. And so God isn't holding that over our heads anymore. Boy, I wish we could get that through our, our heads. Because we're, we find ourselves wasting so much time and energy trying to please God when the fact of the matter is we already did in Christ. We already have. We, God, God's standards have been met. Verse 13. Has then what is good, talking about the law, become death to me? Certainly not. But sin that it might appear sin was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. In other words, 
the, the, the law, the Ten Commandments and so forth, makes sin really sin. It, may, it helps us to really see just how far off we've gotten. So it's not bad, it's good. It's hard news to take, but it's working something good in us. It's bringing us to Christ who fulfills the law and reconciles us unto God. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Now he gets into the practicals of life here, and he says, For what I am doing, I do not understand, because what I want to do, I don't do that. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Now he's, he's admitting something here that's very true of all of us. As long as we fail to um, understand, to accept, to live in the freedom that Jesus purchased for us, we have this war going on inside of us. Where our new nature that has been given to us in Christ stands in direct conflict with that old Adamic nature, that old sinful man. And my, my new man, my, my recreated man, the Spirit of God in me, says, I want to please God. I want to please God. But that old sinful man says, no, we don't. And so that what I want to do, I don't do. I don't understand it, he says. The things that I want to do, I don't seem to be able to do. I go down the aisle and I pray at the altar and I make a commitment that I'm never going to do that again. And I might make it till Tuesday, but I find myself back in the same rut. And that thing that I want to do, I don't seem to be able to do. There's this warfare going on. This conflict inside of me. It's frustrating. It causes me to be heaped with guilt and condemnation. But it's not God's will. We're going to get to that. It says that um, it's, not, it's not even me that's doing it, but the sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, verse 18, that is in my flesh, <clears throat> nothing good dwells. For to will or to want to is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I don't seem to be able to find. <clears throat> For the good that I want to do, I don't do it. But the evil that I don't want to do, that's what I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. I want to do good, but there is another old man that's dragging along inside of me and won't let me do it. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? Have you ever felt like that? God, I want to serve you. I want to love you. I want to please you. I want to make you happy. I want to do what you want. I want to obey you. I just can't. 
Oh, wretched men I am. God, you old flesh. Who's going to deliver me from the body of this stinking flesh that keeps dragging me down and keeps restraining me from doing what I want to do, from living the kind of life that I want to live for God? Who's going to deliver me from this? And in those marvelous words, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now he kind of gets ahead of himself right here because he's not going to really begin to talk about the answer until chapter 8. But it's like he wanted to sort of give us a teaser. You know, he didn't want to leave us in limbo for a whole week. So he throws this little teaser in there. I thank God through Jesus Christ. Our, oh, uh, so then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. You know, it's a very terrible picture. But he's kind of giving us a glimpse of what's to come. I'm glad he did, because I sure wouldn't want to leave you for a week without knowing that there was an answer. Yes, indeed, Jesus Christ is the one who delivers me from the body of this death. Because, remember, that old man is dead. I heard a story about a lady back in the days of the, well, just before the Civil War in a southern plantation. I don't know if it's true or not, so don't hold me to it. But her husband died. And she had him embalmed and uh, encased in an uh, airtight glass cubicle. He was dressed and set up in a uh, pose kind of a thing. And she put him right in the front entry of the house. So when you came in the door, the first thing you see was, you know, this dead guy. <clears throat> As a kind of a memorial to him. Well, her, her, her friends and family sent her on a trip uh, you know, a vacation to sort of get squared away because I knew she didn't really have all of her marbles at that time. So she she left and went uh, around the United States, the East Coast, and and then on over to Europe and traveled around for an extended period of time. And while she was gone, she met a man and was remarried. And uh, after their honeymoon and whatever, they came home to her place. And as all good, uh, you know, bridegrooms do, he picked her up and brought, you know, walked across the threshold with her and staring everybody in the face was, you know, this guy. And uh, she made the decision that she really didn't want that old man standing there anymore. And so she had her servants take him out and properly bury him. But see, we're like that sort of. We've been married to a new one, Christ Jesus. But standing there in the entryway of, our, of the house of our life is this old dead corpse. And we can't seem to make any progress. But Jesus is trying to help us to understand in this passage of Scripture that that old man is dead and buried with Christ Jesus. And you know, the devil has no, sin has no dominion over us that we don't allow. I mean, it, the devil will let you prop up that old dead man in the doorway of your house if you want to, so that you have to stare that ugly flesh in the face every day. And every time you want to go in or out, you have to walk around this obstacle. 
No, you don't have to. Now, I'm not suggesting that um, tomorrow you just get your mental processes all correct and understand that Jesus has delivered me from, from this old man and uh, I reckon that I'm, I'm uh, justified in Christ and the Holy Spirit is sanctifying me and get that all squared away in your mind just right and then go marching out the door and live a sinless life. I'm not saying that that's going to happen. I think that's probably just a little bit of a fairy tale. But what I do think is the truth is that the Holy Spirit has come alongside to help you to become more like Jesus with every passing day. And your progress does not have to be impeded. You don't have to cry out like Paul did and say, Oh, who will deliver me? Because you have been delivered. And it begins with a proper, it does begin with a proper understanding of what has happened. That Christ Jesus took that old man to the cross, nailed him, and he was planted in the ground. When Jesus rose from the dead, he wasn't dragging his flesh with him. He was transformed. He, though he was recognizable, he had a heavenly body. And you and I get the privilege of, by faith, experiencing that same metamorphosis, that same transition. And it doesn't have to be constant warfare. I've heard so many preachers say that, you know, as long as we live, we're going to have this awful warfare going on inside of us. I don't believe that's true. I don't think that's what the Bible says. I don't think you are destined to live out your days constantly struggling under a load of guilt and condemnation about how you have not measured up to God's standard because the standard was met. And the thing that kept you from reaching the standard is dead. I don't know how freer you can be to live God and to, to, to love God and to live for Him. So these words in chapter 7 are precious. Now, the words in chapter 8 are glorious, but though we couldn't get to chapter 8 if we didn't come through 7. Amen? Understanding that that old man is dead. And then we'll begin with, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus.